Hey everyone, welcome to Ask Me Anything. I am Matt Love, and I am not here with Pastor J.D. Greer today, because as you know, occasionally we like to pull some answers from sermons that J.D. has preached that answer some questions that we know people are asking. Obviously, J.D.'s preaching every week to the people of the summit um, and trying to answer questions that he knows that that our church is asking, and so we thought some sometimes we could pull some of those answers and they could be really helpful for all of you as well. And so uh, a question we have today is, does charismatic worship go too far? Let's listen to what JD has to say about that. Let me give you twin worship principles that you need to hold in tension. Chances are, I'm gonna give you two of them, okay? If you like one of these, you're not gonna like the other one. So if you really like this first point, hang on. And if you hate this first point, I got good news coming for you, okay? So here's, the, but they're both true. You gotta hold them in tension. Number one, different cultures and different personalities have different ways of expressing emotion. And that's okay. Different cultures and different traditions have different ways of expressing emotion and reverence and worship, and that's okay. I've learned this most as we've tried to make strides in becoming a multi-ethnic church. Now, as you know, pursuing multi-ethnicity is a whole lot bigger than just worship style, but but worship is one area where our church has learned a ton from various cultures being involved. For example, we got a lot of you that are here from traditional Southern Baptist background. When you guys are really into it in church, you tend to sing with a lot of gusto. Not a lot of movement in your worship, Many of us can't even clap on beat, but there's plenty of volume, especially when we bring out those old hymns. Oh man, you start belting it out. And if y'all get totally into it, I mean into it, you might even like like lift one arm like this. Like you're trying to ask a question or something. And if you're, if you're experiencing full on revival, you'll sway back and forth a little with both arms bent at 90 degrees right here at the elbows. It's like you're carrying this gigantic invisible microwave oven. That, that's like, oh, they're in revival right now. And when I preach, you, if I say something you like, you let out a punctuated staccato, amen. Especially if I alliterate it. If I alliterate it, you're gonna, it's just like, you know, Pavlov's dog. I literally, you're like, amen. Now, mixed in among you is a sizable number of people who grew up in churches that were a bit more, shall we say, loquacious with their sermon feedback. I don't know if y'all remember Chuck and Yolanda Reed. They came out of the African-American church. Chuck Reed was on our staff for several years and then he left a couple years ago to go out and plan a, uh, plan a church. Uh, Chuck and Yolanda loved to help me out when I was preaching. If I said something she liked, Yolanda would not let out a quick amen. She'd talk back to me in complete sentences with <laughs> verbs and adverbs and sometimes questions I wasn't sure if I was supposed to answer or not. That reminds me, I was preaching this, this little church years ago and a Pentecostal woman about halfway back while I'm preaching, she kept raising her hand like, and I kept thinking, that's so weird. Like at her church, do you just stop the pastor and ask a question? Finally, I asked her, I was like, I was like, man, do you have a question? She turned white as a sheet. Because that was just her way of saying amen. She's putting her hand up saying amen, amen. During worship, a lot of these former Pentecostals, they'll add into the worship some rhythmic clapping and some shouting and jumping that I don't typically see from our members who grew up at First Baptist. Our Latino members combine all this sanctified enthusiasm with what can only be called a supernatural endurance. I mean, for them, anything less than two hours of singing cannot legitimately be called worship. 
Hey, oh, I'm serious. First time I attended a service at our summit in Espanol campus, I missed lunch with my family. And I think maybe dinner too. <laughs> um, when, it, when it comes to boisterous worship though, y'all, I have yet to find a group that puts more body and soul into singing than this group of Duke college students that came to our church who had grown up in South Korea. They always sat on the second row at the Briar Creek campus. First time I saw them worshiping, y'all, I honestly thought somebody was gonna get hurt. They, they were not singing the songs. They were, 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 were yelling the songs. Sometimes they're looking down, stomping with the beat while we were singing. Several of them looked like they were trying to give God a high five while we were in the middle of worship, you know. Uh, um, and then, but then here, here was the deal. When I got up to preach, it was like somebody flipped a switch. These passionate worshipers became stone silent the entire time that I preached, even during the good parts, the alliterated parts. Um, I, honestly, I was a little discouraged. I thought maybe I just wasn't connecting with them. So I finally just asked them. I'm like, y'all are so fun to watch when you're singing. But during the sermons, you just sit there with no response. Am I just not connecting with you? One of them looked back at me and he said, oh no, pastor, we love your preaching as much as we love the music. But in our culture, it's impolite to talk when the pastor is speaking. Sitting silently is how we show respect for the word of God and how we show respect for your preaching. I know a missionary of ours in Tokyo who says about the Japanese Christians there, he says, if you look at their faces, they're extremely expressive, but everything they do in church is in a whisper. And when you ask them why, they say, we wanna express our hearts to God by our emotions, but we also want not to distract others from doing the same. So here's the question. Which of these is the correct biblical way to worship? Well, yes and amen, right? What is wrong is when we elevate our preferences and we make them normative. Remember what God said to Samuel earlier in 1 Samuel? Don't judge the outside, Samuel. Man looks on the outside, I look on the heart. I grew up in a church with some of the godliest people I've ever known, before or since. Many of them lived the most sacrificial lives. They were people of integrity. They were people of deep prayer. They were people who brought others to Jesus consistently. They were just quieter and less expressive. But I know people who would look at them self-righteously and say, well, they're just not filled with the Spirit. Y'all, since when did being filled with the Spirit become synonymous with a worship style? Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. So stop taking the mantle of judgment on yourself. That's one of the two worship principles. If you like that one, get ready. Here's the other one. You gotta hold these intentions because they're both true. All worship should have elements of passion and self-forgetfulness. Y'all remember, undignified is the word David used in 2 Samuel 6, 22. He said to Michael, I'll make myself even more indignified like this than, I, when I, than this when I worship. The word there implies self-forgetfulness. What David said is when I worship, I'm not gonna think about what people are thinking about me. I'm gonna think about what they're thinking about God. It's true that we all do things differently, but the corresponding truth is that all worship should contain elements of passion and self-forgetful expressiveness. We can see that displayed, y'all, in the one praise book, the one book we have, songbook in the Bible called the Psalms. Now, warning, this is about to make some of you super uncomfortable. More than 20 times in scripture, we are encouraged, yea, even commanded to raise our hands in worship. Here's just a few examples. Psalm 88, nine, I call for you every day, O Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you like a child. 
Psalm 143, verse eight, I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a man in a parched land. Psalm 28, two, hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift my hands. Psalm 134, two, lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. In another 14 places in the Old Testament, we see this posture modeled. Interestingly, archeological studies of that time period have found depictions of Old Testament worshipers. And whenever they draw worshipers, you know what they have them doing? They have them with their hands raised. In other words, it was so commonly associated with worship that when an artist wanted to depict worship, that's what they drew. We also see that posture modeled in the New Testament. First Timothy 2.8, I desire, Paul says, that in every place, the men should pray, lifting up holy hands. In the same way, we got multiple instances of commands to shout loud and clap your hands in worship. For example, Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 35, 27, let those who delight in my salvation shout for joy. Psalm 47, 1, clap your hands, all ye peoples, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 81, 1, sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Isaiah 12, 12, 6, shout and sing for joy, O Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Zephaniah 3, 14, sing aloud, O Zion, Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O Jerusalem. Now, class, in English grammar, what kinds of sentences are those? Are they declarative, describing something? Are they interrogative, asking you a question or making a suggestion? Or are they imperative? That is right, they are imperative. And what does imperative mean? It means they are commands. You say, but if I don't feel like it, I shouldn't do it because that's hypocritical. Since when does how you feel become a condition of whether or not you obey? I, I don't know a single sincere Christian who says, yeah, I just don't feel like praying. I don't feel like being faithful to my spouse. I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I just won't do those things. You say, boy, isn't it hypocritical to do something I don't feel in my heart? No, here's how obedience works. Sometimes as you're obeying, when you don't feel like it, God changes your heart to desire what you're doing. In fact, in many ways, your obedience is supposed to be like a cry to God to change your heart. In fact, here's a little secret. The posture of our bodies actually guides the emotions of our heart. That's how God designed us. Psychologists tell us that we are um, psychosomatic creatures. It just means that our souls and our bodies are intertwined. That means when I get into a posture of surrender, like kneeling, I feel emotions of surrender. When I adopt a posture of reverence, it helps guide my heart to feel reverence. A lot of times we think that the posture of our body is a reflection of our heart, but often the posture of our body serves as the guide, the catalyst to our heart. Try it. Raise your hands and you will probably feel more adoring and more open to God. Furthermore, and this is important to remember, listen, the central question in worship is not what we feel like. The central question of worship is what he's worthy of. I am not expressing to you my emotional disposition. I am expressing to you his worthiness. One of my pet peeves is when a worship leader opens up a worship service, and I'm not talking about any of ours, none of ours do this, but when a worship leader opens up a worship service by saying, how you guys feeling this morning? Like, how do I feel? I feel like a lousy, self-centered, unbelieving sinner. I feel defeated. I feel like I want to quit. The point is not, what do I feel like right now? The point is, what is God worthy of? That's why I come to church. And I worship based off his promises, not my feelings. Remember, worship is putting his worship, not my emotional disposition on display. 
I want my unbelieving friends to see my worship and I want them to think now that, that must be a God worth knowing. I want fellow believers to see my worship, especially those who know when I'm going through a hard time and I want them to see my hands raised and joy in my face and tears in my eyes when they know everything is going wrong in my life and I want them to say, now that must be a God worth trusting. This God must be so amazing that he gives you joy even when everything is not going your way. I wanna know this God and I wanna trust him because you are proclaiming him to me when you worship. Y'all listen, I'm not trying to contradict what I said earlier about different cultures and different personalities having different ways of expressing emotion. No one necessarily better than the others. I'm just saying that in all worship, we ought to see expressiveness and passion and sometimes you ought to look undignified. And yes, certainly there are times, I get it, to stand silently or kneel reverently and quietly before the Lord. I mean, in Revelation, after a huge display of God's glory, it says that everybody in heaven stood quiet for a half an hour. So yeah, that is often appropriate, but we also need to take these commands to raise our hands and shout and clap and sing aloud seriously. So see, Summit, we go forward with these twin complementary truths. A, different cultures and different personalities have different ways of expressing emotion, and you're not the judge anybody else. B, the complementary truth, all gospel-based worship should have elements of passion and self-forgetfulness. These two principles do not contradict each other, but they are tension points that complement each other. Let me just cut to the chase and just put this really bluntly, okay? I'm talking to you as your pastor right now. I'm not talking as a teacher to the Christian world. I'm talking to you, the Summit Church. Some of y'all need to repent of the dignity you carry yourself with in church. You're more like Saul and Michael than you are David. Because when we worship, you care too much about what other people are gonna think about you. Let me share with you a story by permission about a discussion that took place between two of our campus pastors. One whose name I won't use, though he told me that I could use the story and even told you I could tell you his name, but I'm not going to. We'll just call him Pastor D. That way you can spend the rest of the time trying to figure out which of our pastors has a D in their name. The other one is Rodell, who is our summit in Espanol campus pastor. Pastor D came from a Presbyterian background. And by his own admission, he tends to sit through worship subdued, and that's what he's most comfortable with. Pastor Rodell said to him, he said, well, first, my background is Pentecostal, and second, I'm Hispanic, which means I have a great Latin love of emotion. So that's a double whammy. So when Pastor D responded, I just don't get that passionate in worship, that's just not my style, Pastor Rodell said to him, okay, but what kind of emotion do you show in other areas of your life? And so this first campus pastor watched himself for two weeks watching how he responded to his kids, watching how he responded to seeing his wife after traveling, watching himself after his favorite football team won a game. After observing himself for two weeks, he came back to Pastor Rodell and said that his relationship with God was the only area in his life that he really cared about in which he was not expressive and joyful. He said, quite humbly, I might add, he said, I think I've got some repenting to do in the way that I've been approaching worship. I'm not trying to judge you, I'm not trying to make you somebody else. I'm not trying to say that you need to worship in a certain style to be a good Christian. I'm just saying, Summit, let's worship God like David did, not by stripping down to our skivvies each time the band plays. Nobody wants to see that. But by, at times, putting the worthiness of God and our gratefulness for our salvation on display, shout unto God with a voice of triumph and make known his salvation among the nations. All right, well, we're so glad you listened. 
Again, this was just a clip from one of JD's recent sermons answering the question, does charismatic worship go too far? If you want more uh, sermons or other articles or information or resources from Pastor JD, the best place to go, as always, is jdgreer.com. We would encourage you to go on over there and check that out. And we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.